This was great. This was a blessing for me because I was kind of done with Hollywood. Uh, and Hollywood, and I don't want to get into that thing that people say, oh, I hate Hollywood or I hate L.A. because that's not how I seen it. I felt that. I understood it. I've said it myself. But now I say that I hated myself in L.A. I hated myself in Hollywood. There's great things that go on there and there's great things to be discovered there. Uh, but I got blocked. I started worshiping that Hollywood God, so I forgot what it was that I enjoyed in my art. And uh, I was, my soul felt like it was dying there. So I was ready to get out of there. So this came along at an opportune moment. Hey, it's Zach here. And super quick before we dive into the show, if you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. My guest today is Sean Corvell, who's played a variety of different roles in his career as an actor, a comedian, and a television host. But for the last 11 years, he has been inspiring and motivating athletes and weekend warriors across the world at the Tough Mudder starting line, including inspiring me. He's also the host of Tough Mudder's No Excuses podcast, of which I was recently a guest on. And if you want to listen to that episode, we provided a link in the show notes. Now, like most of us, Sean came to Hollywood with stars in his eyes, hoping to build a career that would bring out the best in him, a career that fulfilled him while also allowing him to be creative, to perform, and of course, to ultimately be successful. Now, similar to my own path, Sean discovered that the more success he attained in Hollywood, the further away he got from himself and his core values. The higher he climbed the ladder, the more it burned him out and the less he wanted to be on the ladder at all and Tough Mudder became the unexpected calling that Sean never imagined. In today's conversation, Sean shares his advice, his experience, and his stories about what it took to listen to his soul in order to leave behind a career in Hollywood. If you have ever felt stuck or you're unsure of the right path for you, get ready to be inspired and motivated to take just one small step towards forward progress today. 
Whether you've run an obstacle course race or not, or if you could honestly care less about mud runs, I promise you that the lessons that Sean shares in this conversation apply to every aspect of life. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Tough Mudder starting line motivational MC Sean Corvell. To access the show notes for this episode with all the bonus links and resources discussed, as well as to subscribe, leave a review, and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 182. I am here today with Sean Corvell. For anybody, anyone, anywhere in the world that has ever been on the starting line of a Tough Mudder, you already know this guy, you know the face, you know the voice. He is the inspirational voice of Tough Mudder. You are also a comedian. You are also uh, partially responsible for the holiday armadillo episode of Friends, (laughs) amongst many, many other things, all of which we might talk about today. But Sean... What an immense pleasure it is to have you on the mic today, and I'm so excited about sharing all the things that you and I talk about officially on the record with my audience. Yeah, me too, Zach. I am very excited. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have you come on to our Tough Mudders podcast, our No Excuses podcast, uh, a couple couple weeks ago, I guess, just before we went out and did the Tough Mudder event there in SoCal at uh, Glen Helen. And uh, you and and uh, uh, Wesley showed up and you guys were awesome as usual. And you, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, uh, did something that was very uncomfortable for you. And man, you would never if you hadn't said anything, you would never know it. You would never know it. So congratulations to you on that. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to get to that story a little bit later of how uh, even having done, I've lost count, but it's probably in the 20s, uh, Tough Mudders and Spartans and obstacle races, thinking that at this point, I'm not sure this is even totally outside my comfort zone and it's a great workout and it's a fun exercise. And you're like, nope, I'm going to make this terrifying for you. And how? Is it electrocution? Nope. Deep water? Nope. (laughs) It was handing me a microphone and forcing me to be the starting line MC. Uh, We can talk more about that later. Uh, I was also fortunate enough to have my uh, Tough Mudder partner Wesley record it. I'll make sure we have a link in the show notes so anybody listening or watching is able to see that. But here's where I want to begin, because I suspect you have a very similar challenge in your life that I do. Imagine that you're in a scenario where you're amongst people that have never met you before, and it's not necessarily your world or your audience. Maybe it's at a, you know, friends gathering, a family gathering, and somebody asks you the question, so Sean, what do you do? How the hell do you answer that? Because you do so many different and unique things. How do you answer the question, here's what I do? The last thing I'll answer to that is that I'm a comedian. Because when you tell anybody that you're a comedian, prepare to hear jokes. (laughs) 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 Or they'll always say, well, you don't you're not funny now. You know, that kind of stuff. There's there's some things that everybody says that you hear. So it's like that will be the last thing that I will say Uh, lately in the last few years. It's been something I'm very proud of working with Tough Mudder, the obstacle course, mud obstacle course company. Uh, People come out there and you come out there and have fun. Uh, just to find your best if you're like a, a one of our top athletes to see where you're at with your fitness. And uh, if you're anybody else from corporate to church and everything in between, you just come out there, have fun and find your best with friends 
uh, that's what I tell them that I do. And then, uh, you know, eventually it gets into more details. It's a great conversation to have with someone. So I'm assuming you just went on to jobs.com and it said seeking starting line MC for upcoming mud race inquire here. I'm sure it was that simple, right? That's very close. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> it was Clinton Jackson, actually, that did that. And it was gigs. What was it? Something gigs that I don't think they're up anymore. He did it. Clinton is a, a fellow comedian. I've known him forever and he's very, him and I are very close. We're practically, we are related as far as I'm concerned. And he was looking, he goes with gig masters it was. So there they, they look for singers, comedians, anybody in that field to host or whatever it is that they need them for. And this came up through Tough Mudder that they were looking for an announcer. And Clinton clicked it. It was the one that was going on in Tahoe in 2011, I believe, or 2010, one of those. But, but um, he clicked it. He was going to do it. Then he got in touch with me uh, and asked me if I wanted to do it. Actually, it was through his management. They asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said no at the time. One, I was busy in L.A. doing stuff. Two, it, it, on the comedy thing, that would have been a hell gig, man. Those people weren't listening, weren't there to listen to any kind of comedy. So I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And plus, they weren't paying anything. They, they weren't putting people up or anything. They weren't very experienced in that department yet. Uh, so I passed on it. Clinton went and did it. They loved him because he's so good at that. You know, he's that's his that's what he's been doing for all of his life. And they called his management, who used to be my management, now is, I still work with him, uh, Lori Kaplan. They called her and they said, hey, we got to have Clinton. We want to lock him up. We want to give him the yada, yada, yada. And so they negotiated. And that's when Clinton came back to me and said, Sean, you got to do this. And that's as simple as your brother, your mom, your dad, somebody that you're close to says to you, hey, Zach, you got to do this, man. You'll go and do it. And I did the one that was in Virginia and he was right. It just, one of those things in my life that just clicked, boom, this is uh, where I'm supposed to be. And I've been doing it ever since. So so nowadays, if you mention Tough Mudder, Spartan Race, and by the way, for anybody that doesn't know the inner workings, Tough Mudder is now owned by Spartan. So all the you know inner workings and competition and different businesses don't have to worry about that. I used to have to be very careful about mentioning both of them on the same show. Yeah. Now I can very <laughs> gladly do that, but you're technically working for Tough Mudder. And nowadays, if you mention it to the lay person, they at least know of it. Oh yeah, it's those things you do you know, in the mountains or the hills and people, you know, run and go, you know, under barbed wire and get sprayed with fire hoses. Yeah, I have heard of that. In 2011, nobody knew what this was. So you go on gigs.com and you're like, oh, I've got a speaking gig. What in the world were you thinking when you showed up to this the first time? So I was thinking, one, you know, this is great. This was a blessing for me because I was kind of done with Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood, and I don't want to get into that thing that people say, oh, I hate Hollywood or I hate L.A. Because that's not how I seen it. I felt that. I understood it. I've said it myself. But now I say that I hated myself in L.A. I hated myself in Hollywood. There's great things that go on there and there's great things to be discovered there. Uh, but I got blocked. I started worshiping that Hollywood God. So I forgot what it was that I enjoyed in my art. And uh, I was, my soul felt like it was dying there. So I was ready to get out of there. So this came along at an opportune moment. And what, so when I went there that first day in Virginia to do it, it was dark, snow on the ground, cold, uh, all kinds of chaos was going on because this was early on. They were still uh, uh, discovering challenges themselves and putting this thing together in the experimental stage. And uh, 
I remember the young lady who uh, had hired us. She marched me down to the start. Now, I didn't know I was going to be doing a start line. Clinton was working at the time in the infield, in the base area. He was uh, sort of doing... They would have a live band. The live band would come off. Clinton would come on, do announcements, uh, introduce the merchants, do games, just be his charming, funny self. He's a great comedian. I thought I was going to be doing that, but it made sense. We were both there. When's going to be doing that? So she marched me down to the start line. I didn't know that. I get down to the start line. It's like I said, it's nighttime. It's cold, and nothing is set up. The sound equipment's not set up. Uh, uh, tents d- d- down. And and it's just muddy, wet, and cold. She hands me this little sheet that had these bullet points on it. And she goes, uh, here's the bullet points. Your first wave will come in at 7.30. Last wave will be at 1.30. Uh, just read this to them. We'll be coming through every 20 minutes. Turned around and walked away. <laughs> so I'm sitting there with this thing in my hand. I'm like, okay. But... What hit me immediately that I did love was how hard everyone was working. It was like a real team effort. You know, I've experienced that from the other side in the industry and you're in the industry. So, you know, this um, and especially (laughs) the union workers, man, they work hard. They work as a unit. They're very good at what they do. It's 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 very admirable and very inspiring. And that's what I was seeing at this event. So I like that. And now I get a, to be a part of this. I knew how to set up the sound equipment because, uh, you know, I drum a lot, <laughs> as you see over there, and, and love music. So I have my sound equipment and all that stuff. So I set that up and anything else that I needed to do, I got done. And then somebody did help me with the tent and all that kind of stuff. And I loved that feeling already that I was part of a team that was working hard, seeing the fruits of my labor. You know, uh, the first wave comes in. And I'm up there and I I forget, I don't even think I had a stool yet. I just went out there, I had the little thing and I started talking to them. And even in that first wave, I noticed there was something more going on. I'm from the fitness industry. I've been working with, I worked with Crunch for 11 years. I've always been in the fitness industry in some sort of capacity, uh, straight out of high school. Um, So I got what was going on there, even back in my training days, that people come and do these things. It's more about the physical that's going on. There's something else that's going on in their lives that this is helping, this exercise is helping. So I was feeling that immediately. And then as the waves kept coming, you start seeing our veterans, you start seeing amputees, you start seeing people that are coming with T-shirts that have loved ones that they've lost, people that have been diagnosed with something they weren't expecting. People were bringing their lives to this. And I, more than any other job I've had previously, including comedy, I felt a raw connection to that. And... Eventually, you just end up tossing that little sheet that I was reading from. It's like, dude, you can't just read. You got to talk to these people. Toss that. And yeah, it's just started evolving from then. I'm talking to them, talking to them. The power went out. That was when, so the deflatable goes down. I have no sound. So that was when I first went into the middle of them then and had them take a knee. 
Again, that's how I grew up. In Little League, we took a knee, you know, and as I say these days, any event I was a part of growing up, we took a knee to honor those that gave service sacrifice so that we could be there out there doing what we were doing. So we took a knee and that felt great. It worked, you know, I didn't have any sound equipment. So when I was talking to them, but you got their attention too. So that's a keeper. I'm keeping that. Uh, so I'm curious, po- when they hired you, did you know you were doing like a speech every 15 minutes no, for hours? No, not, I had no idea. What I, once again, I thought I was going to be on the stage just being a clown and talking about the emergence and in between, like Clinton was doing. That's called Clinton the Clown. <laughs> he made it more than that, of course. Uh, well, I would imagine that because you've done it so many times, clearly you've honed your voice. But do you feel like the first couple of times, like you're looking at the sheet and... Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Tough Mudder Obstacle Event, uh, sponsored by the following sponsors. And here's how, like, did you feel like it was very kind of corporate bullet points? Like, here's this thing, and you're like, you know what? Screw that. I just, I need to make this me. Because now it is so perfectly honed in. I don't care what event anybody goes to, any time of day, any state in the United States or otherwise, they're going to get your speech and get your energy. But I'm guessing there was an evolution to that, just like there's an evolution to a set if you're a comedian, right? It's so funny. It was like you were there. That was a great impression. That was what I sounded like also. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Kind of. In that, like you said, when you're first doing stuff, you go to the automatic professional way of doing it. And then, like I said, as I started feeling exactly what was going on there, started finding more of myself in there and you start losing the corporate voice. And like I said, you toss that script and through any problems that happen, it evolved. Singing, I remember the first time I had them sing the national anthem as opposed to playing it because the power went out. It was so, it was like a ding moment again. Ding! It's like, this stays, you know, we'll do this uh, whenever, uh, every now and then we'll do it because it felt great. You know, so yes, that is exactly what happened. It evolved through me just doing it over and over again. And also the experience that I had previously with everything I have ever done in my life. It felt like everything I've ever done in my life was for this moment right here. So I love it. And it's it's really interesting to hear the story of how it evolved to the whole everybody circle up and take a knee thing. Because um, I didn't really understand. It's so amazing how sometimes things like that just come from, you know, a mistake. Well, stupid power went out, so nobody can hear me. So I better get in the center. And then it just becomes this thing. And I can say from having been in that circle many times that there are few things I've experienced in my entire life that are more addictive than the feeling you have in your chest when you're in that circle listening to here's what you're just about to embark upon like I love that feeling of anticipation even after having done very similar races over and over you still get that feeling and that's essentially what uh, what I'm chasing now but for me when I took I did my first Tough mutter, like I was just terrified. Um, I t- we talked about this at length on your show, and uh, I'll just kind of share a very brief version for my audience and my listeners. Uh, but my sister was very into fitness. This was probably 2013, maybe. Um, I had a, a son that was a couple years old at the time. I was in horrible health, working crazy long hours, never getting any sleep, going um, basically going about my life with caffeine just to survive. My sister was super into health. She discovered P90X and Tony Horton and said, I found this thing called Tough Mudder and I just ran my first race and you have to do one. I'm like, what the hell is a Tough Mudder? Oh, I've got to tell you about it. It's like 10 miles and I was in the mountains and there's like these obstacles. I was like being on an army obstacle course and you're crawling under barbed wire and you're, you know, swimming through the river. Oh, and they electrocute you. And I'm like, all right, stop for a second. You paid for this. What What is this thing you're speaking of? And she very reluctantly, because I'm so ridiculous competitive. I'm like, 
I can't let my sister, who's 13 years older than me, be the stronger one in the better one. That's not going to happen. So she got me into P90X, did the full 90 days, did my first race. And like the, the tagline goes for Spartan, which is similar for uh, Tough Mudder. It's like, you'll know when you cross the finish line. And that was it. Like you, you cross it, hobbled, tired, exhausted. And you're like, oh my God, I have to do that again. And it just, it helps you discover so many things. And I'm going to put a pin in the conversation right there because I think this is the heart of it, but I don't want to get to it yet. Okay. There's something that I think is really, really important that you brought up that's going to resonate with my audience, which is this idea that it wasn't so much that you hated Hollywood, you hated who you were in Hollywood and you felt like it was taking your soul. So let's rewind back to when you worked in the industry because most if not all of my audience is either at the place now where they feel similarly or they're terrified of getting to that point because this industry just burns people out day after day after day. So I'm curious, what was your evolution or de-evolution to get to the point where you said, I don't like who I am in Hollywood? Because when you went there, I started off in San Francisco professionally doing stand-up. Uh, very blessed to be to start off there. It was a great place to begin, and a lot of this, a lot of the people who are doing very well and very well known now in the comedy field came through San Francisco, and it was all about the art. Then they really, really nurtured the art there. Helped you nurture the art there. The, the audiences were amazing too. So uh, through commercials, eventually I moved down to L.A. Uh, had people, you know, agents and lawyers and all that kind of stuff. And then you start the auditioning process. And, you know, I did okay through the auditioning. I had some good stuff and commercials and hosting things. But on a scale of what you get to what you audition for, woo, I mean, it's like you take a lot of rejection. People have heard that. You do. You take a lot of rejections. And each time I go in, I had what you hear a lot of people that are doing these auditions say, you know, you're in your head. You're wondering what they want. You know, you're uh, you're seeing what the ugly part of Hollywood, what they want out of their stars, a certain way to look, a certain way to sound, a certain way to be fed and da 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 yada, all of these things down on the list. And you start just falling for those things because eventually I'm giving up on myself and my art. I'm losing myself. And understand that a lot of us, when we're going down there too, especially if you go very early, um, we're still discovering ourselves in our art. You know, something that I think in the art world, no matter what you're doing, painting, music, whatever, however you're expressing yourself, it's a lifetime thing and an evolving thing. But if you're not locked into a certain point, it's easy to lose yourself. And that's what happened to me through these audition process, thinking that now my uh, definition of success is going to be money and how many people think I'm cool, you know, how popular I am, you know, and that kind of thing. And when I see other people that I've come up with or came up behind me, started behind me, having more success, you know, it's like, what, wait, wait a minute. What's, uh, yeah, you know, there was a little bit of that. And I say a little bit because that's not my nature. And it would, it would be a knee jerk reaction. And then I would catch myself every now and then and say, I, I like that person. What am I so, man? Knock yourself out, man. All the success in the world for you. Yes. You know, that's not going to affect me. Um, but that was it. That was how I lost it, you know, through auditioning and all that kind of stuff and uh, and and just trying to figure out, oh, how do you become Hollywood successful here? You know, what do I need to do? Uh, and that stuff was taking me away 
from what I loved about doing what I was doing, the stand up and the acting and anything in that that field. Fortunately, I was still connected to the again, I was working a lot of it. I was working with the crunch and uh, crunch fitness at the time and uh, doing other things. I was staying with a fellow comedian, Carlos Salas Rocky. He was another savior to me. Carlos, if you don't know him, he was the voice of the Taco Bell Chihuahua, Doug, has done many of voices in the Cartoon Network and all that stuff in movies. He's done the voices and he's Officer Garcia, Reno 911, a lot of successes with his career. And he was, he became like my brother. You know, he helped me during times where I was had no money, you know, uh, at the house that he bought the house. Pretty much we bought it together, you know, because he asked me, he said he came to me early. We knew each other from the Bay Area. He came to me just before he bought that house. He says, hey, Sean, I'm about to buy a house. Uh, you you want to be my roommate? Sure. So came to the house. We got he got dogs. At first, he's like, I'm going to get a dog. And I'm like, no, we can't get dogs, man. We're, we're on the road all the time, you know. But it worked out. You know, he prevent he brought this love this, uh, and it sounds like we had a relationship, but that's not what I'm talking about. We're not, we didn't have a relationship or anything like that. It was just a friend thing. And he provided a, again, a family feeling for me, uh, an authentic love feeling in this, in Hollywood that kept me hanging on, that kept my foundation strong. Even though I was wandering around lost, anytime I fell, I had that foundation. And he was part of that, provided that for me. Um, so I was with him for many, many years living with that house, at that house till I got married, uh, met a young lady who lived in Sweden, uh, and we got married. Lived, I was living partly in Sweden, going back and forth to L.A. and Sweden for a while. And she was another blessing because she saw L.A. in a different way. Through her light, I saw different parts of Los Angeles, too, and, and SoCal, the beauty of it. Um, so through all that stuff, I was fortunate in that my foundation stayed strong, even though I was wandering off and I was lost beyond that. And, and it just got to the point where... I just stopped, man. I just like, you know, I told uh, I was didn't have any more agents or people, as they call it. And the ma my manager, Lori Kaplan, she would still get in touch with me now and then because we're just close beyond that professional thing. And um, but I was just living and again, spending my time at crunch and I say them a lot. They should be paying me for this. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is not officially sponsored by crunch, yes, but exactly. it kind of sort of is. But the idea of spending my time in that fitness industry and uh, seeing people, as we spoke about before, that are coming there for reasons beyond the physical, it kept me grounded. And then also my time spent and the little time I spent in Sweden helped ground me. The little things, again, the, the house that Carlos provided, you know, and then eventually he met uh, uh, his wife and then being with them and seeing them have a kid for a while, you know, all that stuff kept me grounded. And then the benefit of finally getting on to Tough Mudder and it was in 2014 where it was locked in where I didn't have to be in L.A. anymore. I didn't have to live there anyway. If I needed to go there, it's an easy flight there. I could go back home where my family was, back up to the Bay Area, to the Sacramento area, and nurture my soul at the same time there. 
and worked with Tough Mudder, which was another, again, uh, just a pure way of me getting back to finding me and connecting to people in that way that I want to. Well, I want to dig into something a little bit deeper that I think is so incredibly important for anybody that's trying to get into this industry or frankly, just about any industry. I think this applies, but very much so for creative and artistic people. And this is a blessing and a curse. And I think it's often more times a curse than a blessing if you don't know how to manage it. And it's the idea of what you do becoming your identity. And if you don't know who you are before the industry tells you who you're supposed to be, very dangerous ground, like you mentioned, right? Where I, for example, right now, like uh, there have been a couple of people just through connections of connections um, that have asked, you know, like, hey, you know, your daughter, she'd be good for, you know, doing like kids clothing or maybe she can sing or whatever. And I'm just like, absolutely not. There's no way that I'm going to let her get sucked into an industry before she knows who she is as a person. And I remember right before I moved to Los Angeles and I graduated from college, was born and raised in the Midwest. And I said, I am leaving this industry as soon as it changes who I am as a person. Success is not going to be defined by the credits or the money or the awards. And as soon as it becomes that way and Hollywood turns me into an asshole, I'm out. And there might be some people that are like, dude, you've always been an asshole. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, the point being that minus accolades or experience or wisdom from the last 20 years of my career, I feel like I'm pretty much who I was 20 years ago and who I am now. I don't think that they're drastically different people. But if I didn't have that level of confidence, there are multiple places throughout my career where I said no to something because of the confidence where instead I probably would have said yes that I would have been sucked into a world with people or projects that really would have changed who I was as a person. And I went down a couple of those roads, not knowing it was going to be that road. And I'm like, this is not what I want to be a part of. And ironically, it was the most successful peaks in my career where I'm like, nope, I'm out. This is not, this is not a group I want to be in. This is not, I don't want this to define me. And I've become a lot more selective. And I think that leads into the identity shift that you had from I'm a comedian or I'm an actor to to I get the opportunity to flip and inspire people every single day. So I'm curious beyond just, hey, this was another gig and it pays well and it gets to travel all over. What part of your identity really fed your soul in doing this job versus I'm running around trying to make a bunch of money and get credits in Hollywood? Uh, okay, two things let me say on that. Yes to what you said at first before you asked me that question. And you see that now. It, may, it, it helped me understand when you see a lot of artists get, become successful and then they disappear out of the business. And I get it now. You know, they got the money. They don't have to deal with it anymore. And now they can do the art the way they or go find themselves, even though they got what we think is successful. Go find themselves in their art and do it the way they want to do it. Uh, discover their uh, uh, the, their souls again. So I get that now. So to anybody listening, when you see like you're always asking, hey, this person was at the peak of their their fame and and all that. And they just disappeared. You know, it's like they might have been lost, even though, like you said, they had all the accolades and all that. They weren't it wasn't feeding their souls. So now they have the opportunity to go back and feed their souls. So I get that now. So with your question I'm sorry, ask me that again. Yeah, question. so essentially what, I, what I'm trying to tap into is beyond just it being a gig and something you really enjoyed, what was it about being on that starting line where you're still holding a microphone just like you would be if you were on stage doing a set? And it's not so much acting, but it's still you putting yourself out there and you're the face of something. But why was that so much more nourishing your soul, even though I'm sure it paid way less and it's dirtier and it's grungier and it's not on television and you're not getting millions of viewers, but why was that just the opposite? 
obvious hell yes choice for you? Everything that I've ever done in my life, and I'm saying everything, even professionally, you know, working at the gas station, working at Bank of America, working at the race, uh, Bay Meadows race, uh, horse race uh, um, place, <laughs> uh, <laughs> anything that I've done. Uh, and even before, like when we were kids, and we'd be playing, and then there were moments where everybody'd be sitting around, and I'm making up some story that I'm telling these kids, you know, and they're sitting, we're all sitting around on the porch, and I'm telling stories and incorporating them in the story. Everybody's digging it, you know, having fun. It all clicked to me that in everything I've ever done, the thing I loved about it most was that connection to the people, was that feeling of a, a positive connection. So, I was able to identify that and identify that feeling and say, okay, if I'm not getting this feeling out of what I'm doing in life right now, then I am off my flow. I am off my, my the, the way that I think I should be going in and what I'm doing in my life. So that was it. That, that was the, the click for me. And then, like I said, I started feeling it. The most I have felt that was doing stand-up. Stand-ups, are, it's so fun. Uh, it's such a, a reward, even when it's bad, even when people say that, oh, my God, isn't it scary? Yeah, it's scary. But that's life, you know, and and what it does is it puts you in the moment and life in the moment is pure. You know, no good, no bad, no judgment whatsoever. You're in the moment and you're just dealing with it and, and it's stimulating. So even with stand up. What I was doing, what I started doing with Tough Mudder felt even more of me, pure, you know, because uh, I didn't have to entertain. I wasn't there. It wasn't about me. That's where I went to. It wasn't about me. I was a part of something, you know, so um, that's where the mirror man tag came from because people would always come to me and they'd say, oh, you're so inspiring and, da -da -da, and all that stuff. And I'm like, guys, it's not me. I know you feel that it's me, but I'm just showing you, you. I'm the guy that's standing in the middle of you guys. I got my imaginary mirror showing you. And I've said this to him, what your family sees, what people that love you see, people that see you living like you do see, what you're not, what you feel, but you're not seeing. It's you. You're the ones out here doing this course. You're the ones out here doing something for charity, raising kids, going to work, trying to make this system that we all live in work. You know, that's you, you see. And you're, I'm just introducing you to you. I'm your mirror man. I'm not the inspiration here. You are. So that's what I love. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found 
bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. I absolutely love everything about that. And it brings us right back to where I stuck our little pin in our conversation, going to unpin it, and we're back to the starting line at Tough Mudder. You have a saying that I alluded to a little bit in the beginning, but I really want you to dig into this very instrumental quote that you say for every single speech that really defines the deeper reason why an event like this is absolutely essential for anybody that's looking to discover themselves. What is that quote? Okay, you want Craig's quote or you want my quote? Because there's two of them. There's All right, when, then let's do them both. Okay, wait, wait. There was when was, and then there is no one is better. So which one you want to go with first? Let's, let's start with when was, and then we can do the other one. When was is what I call Craig's quote, uh, Craig's motto. Uh, it was, I don't know who came up with it. It's a, it's a quote that somebody else came up with. I've heard it in songs, and I think... Uh, um, David Lee Roth did it in a song many years ago, but it happened. It came to me. Uh, one of our mutters, a, a guy named Seth, got in touch with me, and he says, "Hey, Sean, my cousin Craig, he just got diagnosed. He came out of remission. He just got diagnosed with cancer again, and this is like his third bout around. He's ready to give up. He's done." Uh, he does these Spartans and tough mutters. You know, it'd be great if you could say something to him. And I'm like. <sighs> Really? <laughs> what am I going to say? Who am I? You know what? And I've gotten these. I've gotten a few of these requests. And what it taught me from experience is that honestly, I really don't have to say anything. All I got to do is listen. Go there and just listen. So that's what I learned. But it's still overwhelming when people bring that to me. So I'm like, uh, okay. So. As I was sitting there and I'm stressing over it, what am I going to say? Okay, John, just listen. Go there. But then also it hit me. Okay, he's done Spartan. He's done Tough Mudder. I will give him the thing that inspires me. I'll give him the Tough Mudder people. So we went to, at the next event, I told Seth to have him ready on the phone. I'm going to call him when I'm in the circle. 
and we did this. I was in the circle. It was at one of our Northeast events, and we got Craig on the phone. He was at home on the couch, and he didn't know I was going to call. So I called, and I told him, I'm right here at the Tough Mudder event. I'm here with, and this is when we used to have like 600 people in that in that start line. I'm like, I'm here at the, with all of our, mutter, our, our mutters here, and you know what we do here. We support one another, and they know what you're going through, and they're all here to support you, Craig. Raise the phone. Ah! Hoorah, hoorah, yeah, yeah. And the CEO at the time, uh, uh, Will Dean, was there. And Will never talked to anyone, but he actually got on the phone with, with, with Craig for a second, too. And then I had uh, another friend of mine who was a pastor, because I knew Craig was very uh, was a man of faith. He was very religious. So I had the pastor sort of represent him. And we did a body wave uh, uh, where they, like, from, that was back when we had the army... Uh, um, wall that you had to climb over to get in there. So we started from the wall and he body surfed everybody to the front and then did the countdown and sent them out representing Craig. So after that, we got through all that, you know, I got back on the phone with Seth. He's like, dude, that's amazing. He is outside now, like doing something, gardening or something. And, you know, his family was happy because he decided, uh, yeah, he'll he may take this thing on again, go through the chemo and all that stuff that he's done previously. So um, he was declining rapidly, you know, even after that. So I went and visited him in the hospital. I believe it was in Alabama. It was when I was visiting him in the hospital that that was when the quote came to me. His family was telling me, we were at the cafeteria and his family was telling me, yeah, when he got diagnosed and he started living by this quote, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And he would do things like on one day, he he uh, built, made, baked a seven-layer chocolate cake and helped his cousin, I think it was, take the engine out of his F-150, you know, at the same time. But he was doing things like that. A lot of what you hear people going through these sort of challenges, you know, then they get out, they're skydiving, they're doing something. They're doing a lot of charitable work, you see, mostly, you know, going overseas to Africa and helping people or helping other people wherever they can. But um, that was when it came to me. It was through that. And it just went straight again to my soul. So I took that quote back to Mother Nation. I started saying it at every and telling his story at every event after that. And I will always say it's Craig. I don't know where it came from again, but I call it Craig's quote. Craig's quote. Because I've had people, when Darius Rucker a couple years ago came out with the song, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Uh, which in the lyrics he mentions running barefoot in the mud. You know, mm-hmm. I would say, and I don't know, but I would say the Mudders got him that song. You know, he heard it through the Mudders, and so that's where that song came from. And, uh, but... When the song came out, I kept getting all these calls from people saying, hey, Sean, Hootie stole your quote. (laughs) And I'm like, one, his name ain't Hootie. (laughs) And two, uh, it's not my quote. You know, if it's anyone's to me, it's Craig's quote. You know, it was uh, it was something that was handed to me, you know, but it became so popular and it became a motto for, I think, Mother Nation. And a lot of people that have heard it that I've gotten so much uh, response from, and I've seen people actually tattoo it to themselves now that if it is a thing, that is him using me as a tool, his presence still on this planet, using me as one of his uh, his tools. So um, that was when was the last time you did something for the first time, the challenge I threw at you that you did at the start line 
by picking up the mic and talking to that circle. Which I'm now uh, uh, totally addicted to and will be finding many more opportunities to be doing so in the future. Um, so I thank you for that. Uh, and I think that it's it's such an important question for people to ask themselves specifically if they feel like they're stuck in a rut. It doesn't matter if they're 18, year old, 18 years old or 80 years old. If you just feel stuck, you gotta try something different for the first time that you've never done because it uses a different part of your brain. It uses different parts of your body um, and I've even read, just having done extensive research and experimentation, uh, having been diagnosed with adult onset ADD, learning how the brain works and neurodiversity. And I remember reading once that if you wanted to kind of offset your entire day, a really simple tip is brush your teeth with the opposite hand. Because it forces you to get out of a rut and it forces parts of your brain to activate the don't. And this is like a giant massive version of the same thing. And for me, the discovery that I found, and I want to dive a lot deeper into uh, a lot of the, the experiences and stories that you've heard of people running their first race. But what I've discovered, not just through my first Tough Mudder, but the many subsequent Mudders and Spartans and everything else and now training for Ninja Warrior. And I, this is one of the things that I talked about on the starting line with the group, is that we have this voice in our head, 24 hours a day, incessantly saying, you can't. Here are all the things that I can't do that I'm not capable of. And when I started very slowly chipping away at and achieving all of these physical things that I told myself I wasn't capable of, I realized I'm kind of sort of full of shit. And this voice is full of shit. And it was Tough Mudders and races like it that helped me discover that. And I've now applied that to every aspect of my life. And I would love to hear more about other first timers because I know that one of the, the most important questions you ask at the starting line, how many first timers we got here? So I would love to know roughly, and I know maybe statistically you can't give it, but you know, just kind of anecdotally from the hundreds of times you've done this, how many people are first timers that just have that like doe-eyed deer in the headlights look at the starting line. Oh, a lot, especially lately. Uh, that would be like, I would say like 80% of our people that are coming in now at these events, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to actually go through the books to see how accurate it is, but it feels like to me at the start line, it's about like 80% of the people coming there now are this is their first time coming there. And a, a lot of the times, a good percentage of that were brought by somebody who's experienced it before, uh, uh, introducing them to it. Um, or they come, yeah, yeah. Whether they're coming in the group with that person or the, they heard from that person. So, and, and they all have, like you said, that doe-eyed look, you know, of what have I gotten myself into? You know, they hear about the electric shock. So it's like, oh, gosh. And I love that, actually. I love the theater of it because I kind of play on it. Um, that's what I loved when we had the wall. The When Army was sponsoring us and we had their wall there, I loved that wall because once you climbed over that wall and you were in, you were kind of like, now you're locked in to the start line. No turning back now. It's like that feeling of the old days when you got on the roller coaster and then you pulled the bar down and then it's locked in. No turning back now. Here we go. You know, and that was the feeling I love to play on. So I would tease it a little bit in the beginning when I'm talking to them, you know, bringing up the hype about it. We're going to test you. Everything you got, you better brought it. I hope you brought it. You brought it. Give me a hoorah. You know, and we're going to we're gonna do this. You're going to get cold. You're going to get electrocuted, maybe. You're going to get uh, uh, muddy. All these things, all these challenges, you know, um, having fun with it. Then calm down. We come down off of the stool 
and go into the middle of them and do the thing like you and I were talking about. We have them take the knee. So the knee has serves two purposes. One, there's legal things I have to say to them before they go out there on the course. Two, it's to what you and I talked about before, that people are out there beyond, you know, they come to have fun. And so, and again, there's those people that are seeing how fit they are. And some people don't even know why they're out there. You know, it's stimulating. So this is to put it in perspective of why, even if you're not here for this reason, this is a part of the energy that you are uh, uh, contributing to. That there is someone here, again, that lost a loved one, that got a diagnosis, that used to be in our armed services and chasing that goes, whatever. Somebody's got something, depression, uh, uh, diabetes, whatever it is, they're in here. And this has become a place for them to exercise the skills to take on that challenge and discover new skills that they have. I say new, but they have it. Just discover those skills to also help them through life. And this is a place where if they fall trying to exercise or discover those, we got all the people in the world here to catch you. If you fail, it's okay, you know, because we got you. You're going to learn that you can fail here and it's just going to make you stronger. And so that's what that time in the circle is. Me talking to them and however I'm saying it and getting them to feel that. And that's when you see the doe eyes all of a sudden become these eyes of, okay, you know, I'm still scared about this, but I can do this. I can do this. You know, I'm ready. I'll take this on. I'm, I'm willing to go out there. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to go out there. I'm with my people right here. And even if I came alone now, I feel like I'm with people, you know, that are going to be looking out for, okay, I can do this, you know, um, no matter what happens. And that's where the second quote came from, was born from. And that was my quote. Unlike Spartan, this isn't a competition. We have our competition ways, but even in those, your biggest competition is yourself. This is about being your best. No one is better than your best, but your best will make you better. And that's going to make us all better. So that is my quote uh, that I discovered born out of my experience with people at that start line. And the idea, again, is like, you just go out there and do your best. And when you're doing your best, there's no time to that. There's no right or wrong to that. There's a feeling that you will discover about yourself. And when you discover that feeling, you're going to see a better part of yourself. It's like going over a mountain and then there's an even higher mountain, but you feel more confident. You know what? I'm going to go do that one. I can do this. And that feeling, I want to become muscle memory or soul memory, where anything you're doing in this life now, you're looking for that feeling in it. You know, you can get that feeling in it. Yeah, you're, you just totally tapped into something for me, which I think is so important to bring up. I've never heard it put so succinctly. I'm totally stealing this from you, by the way. I'm just going to no put steal, that on the man. record now. We share this, this idea <laughs> of, of soul memory being like muscle memory, where you get so used to doing a physical activity that you're in automation and you don't have to think about it. Bringing that to the level of your heart and your soul is brilliant. And it goes directly to what I wanted to talk about next. So, dude, like you clearly do podcasts because this is what we call in the industry the perfect segue. <laughs> But this gets me to exactly where I wanted to go next, which is it's one thing to think that I'm I'm training for the race and I 
get to the the finish line. All right, now I'm done. My belief is that when you get to the finish line of a Spartan or a Tough Mudder, it's the beginning of something totally different. And a big part of it is that change in your soul that you experience. I want to go back to something that you mentioned in your experience with Hollywood, which is that you found yourself comparing yourself to others. Here's me, here are my friends, we're trying to do similar things and I want to be happy for them, but I'm kind of pissed because all of a sudden they're getting gigs that I wanted to get or they're making more money or they've got a nicer house or a nicer car and that was eating away at you because it wasn't part of your identity. And this idea of if I can make myself better, it makes everybody better. I mean, that's literally, boom. That's what this logo and this shirt is all about for anybody that's watching. It's the optimized logo that I put on everything. And I remember you asking me on our, uh, you know, flipping the microphone podcast where I was on yours. You're like, well, what does that mean? What does the word optimize mean to you? And it's all about you're going to make your own line longer rather than thinking, how do I shorten everybody else's? Like, how can I hamstring those around me such that I'm the successful one? As opposed to if I just focus on myself and make me better, it makes everybody around me better. And that is what I think think is probably the most instrumental thing specifically about Tough Mudder that's unique versus any other race out there. It's specifically designed, not the entire race, but it's designed at points where you literally can't do it by yourself. The only way you can get through obstacles is when other people help you through and you either have to create a human pyramid or you've got three people that have to turn this block and you're stuck under the block and you have to, it's just, it's these little kind of mind games and all these different things that are constructed such that it doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter if you are number one on the Spartan circuit, you cannot get through an obstacle without other people. And that to me is tapping into the soul because once you've done that on the course, you're like, why am I not doing that every day? Why am I not just walking up and trying to help somebody with something rather than being so focused on my needs and my path and my trajectory? That completely rewired my brain, just that one experience. So talk to me about the camaraderie specifically of the Tough Mudder and how it's designed to force you out of your comfort zone, specifically if you're an introvert like me, where you're like, I kind of have to interact with people and help them and they help me. And, you know, I might introduce myself to somebody and 30 seconds later, my hand is up their ass, pushing them over a wall. <laughs> like, I love that that camaraderie aspect of the race. So talk to me more about that. That's funny. Your hand is up their ass. There's a, there was a, um, oh, shoot. I I hate that I can't remember his name, but he was an MC. He was the first MC in Europe. And he used to do a joke about that. You're helping somebody up, you know, your hands up their ass. And then later on, you discover your watch is gone, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, one of the things early on that I loved about Tough Mudder, Tough Mudder, and this is my opinion, was the Coca-Cola, the Nike, the whoever's number one in their industry of creating those obstacles uh, that were just, so um, we're engineered, not just to hurt you, not to be impossible, but to also make you think and make you, again, become a part of a team. You know, they had a lot of obstacles like that. Um, so and they were great at that. And then you see them. I see them with Savage and a few other uh, uh, of the companies that are out there now that are doing great work and doing great stuff. You said something earlier about uh, to change and all that stuff. I feel like, again, and this is and anything that I say, y'all, that you're listening to, this is what I feel in the moment. And I, I'm going through this life trying to discover things and things that I feel now. If I discover that they're different, which you did something great on my podcast, you know, I want to be open to that. But right now I feel like that word change, uh, we don't change. 
Our souls. I feel like our life, our souls, when you're talking about that, they're infinite and it's more about expanding. And in expansion, it goes every way. So you're not changing as a point, part of then you don't, that's not a part of you anymore or you don't do that anymore. No, that's always been a part of you. It'll always be a part of you. You know, you're just expanding, you know, your, through your experiences. And with the Tough Mudder people, uh, the people that come and do these Tough Mudders, you do get a lot of them that will come there. And, you know, they have maybe that through that survival instinct where we uh, exercise competitions in our sports and entertainment, you know, it's to conquer, to control your environment, to not be vulnerable in your environment. You know, these are the things that uh, uh, coming up in our primitive ways made us feel safer. You know, that was how we survive in this in this world, in our lives. And again, my, in my opinion, through evolution, with the brain, it says, yeah, the herd mentality is good. Yeah, trying maybe to control your environment. But through will, you will learn that if you become a part of that environment, if you become a part of that herd of life in general, that's the more brilliant or safer or at least um, pure way of living. Safer, I don't know, you know, because then, yeah, you could die doing some what we call crazy things out there. But man, did you live in that little time that you lived as much as anybody has ever lived on this planet. Uh, so with Tough Mudder, that's what people discover out there. I've had... Uh, uh, some runners come to me that said, hey, yeah, I brought my buddy here. It was one guy in particular. He said, I brought my buddy here and uh, to have him run, you know, but I was going to go and burn the course, you know, because. Uh. But then when I was listening to what you said, Sean, I was like, no, I'm going to slow. I'm going to experience this with him. And then the two of us, we spent most of our time out there helping people on Everest and helping people on different obstacles where where it requires help. Like you said, you can't do it by yourself. Or when you see that person that's so many times on our our platforms, the obstacles that require height, you know, that, like I say, ticklophobia. Man, I've seen, not to exaggerate, I've seen people stand up there for 20 minutes with a crowd of people down on the bottom, encouraging them, talking to them. You can do this. You're going to be all right. You can go, go for it. And these people are so happy, whether it's them trying to get up that wall on Everest or jump off that platform into the water. And then the option also that I say to them in the beginning, anything you're not feeling, and this is to get you out there, you know, just like in life, you know, to get you out of the cave. Look, anything you're not feeling, just go around. No shame in that game. You can come back and do it the next time you come to. It gives you a goal in life now. You know, so that gets them out there. The people out there gets them to do this thing that is scaring them, that is a phobia for them that uh, is inside of them, that they're afraid to go there alone. And people go, okay, we'll hold your hand and we'll take you there. We'll go there with you, you know, to help you discover that. So I hope that's answering your question. I hope that. 
I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Not only is it answering my question, but it triggered a very, very specific memory in my mind that I hadn't even thought about for years. But it goes back to my first Tough Mudder. And I don't think you guys have this obstacle anymore. At least I haven't seen it for a few years, but it was called Walk the Plank. Yep. Where you had to climb up, which I would guess, give or take 15 to 20 feet kind of, you know, ladder. And then you're on top of a platform and you just jump into the water. That's it. Like there, there's no, it's not like a bunch of monkey bars. There's not any kind of craziness. You just walk up to the top, you walk on the plank and boom, you jump into the water. And I was frozen because I've never had a good relationship with water, never been a great swimmer. And my sister told me this is one of the obstacles knowing that I've never enjoyed swimming and like just, it's not my thing at all. And I'm like, but I'm going to do it. I know that I have all of these people around me. And I know that if something happens, not only is there lifeguards, but my sister's going to be there, other people are around. But it wasn't just the fear of that. The other fear that I discovered that I've since overcome and it's not even existed anymore, but it's this fear of, but what am I going to look like around all these other people if I'm afraid and vulnerable? I'm going to look stupid or I'm going to look weak. And that was one of the things that shocked me about the Tough Mudder is it was the polar opposite. As soon as somebody shows vulnerability, it's just like a swarm of locusts. Everybody's there to help you and encourage you and get you through it. And that has now become my absolute favorite part of the races. It's not doing the race. The reason that Wes and I did our race a few weeks ago when you handed me the microphone wasn't really for us. We asked ourselves, we're like, why do we want to go? It's like, Let's find a bunch of newcomers that have never done it before that just have terror on their face and let's walk them through the obstacles step by step. Like somebody, like just little things that for us, we breeze through. Let's find somebody that's really terrified of this and just show them you can get through it. And you see that aha moment on their face. It's just like a drug. It's like the best drug ever. But the for me, it was really number one. Oh, I can jump off this plank. And I did it and scared the crap out of me. And now when I do similar things, I just climb up the ladder, boop. I jump in and like that fear is all but eliminated because I convinced myself I could do it. But it's so much more this idea of I feel so much safer being vulnerable in front of people with my weaknesses, knowing that if I'm surrounded by the right people, they're going to encourage me. 
And if I'm vulnerable around the wrong people, well, then it's very obvious who are no longer my people and don't need to be in my life. And that's a huge discovery that I got from these experiences. Uh, just it's, it's that, that feeling of we're all here to, to get each other through the, the race together. And it kind of brings me to the, the next topic of conversation, kind of two different topics of conversation. Um, but one of the hesitations that I hear a lot from newbies that want to run a race when I try to, to put together a group of people in my community or friends and say, hey, let's all go, go run a race. Two objections. One of which is, oh, but I'm just going to slow you down. I'm going to be at the, I'm going to be the last one. You, you go run your race and I don't want to slow you down. But then the other one that I really want you to speak to is, well, I need to get in shape first, then I'm going to sign up. <laughs> so let's talk about these two hesitations and how people overcome them. Cause anybody listening, if you are at least local or want to be around me in Los Angeles, whenever there's a race in Southern California, Tough Mudder, Spartan or otherwise, you let me know. We will get you through from the starting line to the finish line. But these are always the biggest objections. I'll slow you down and I got to get in shape first. Then I'll call you in a year, which becomes a never. So let's talk about these objections and help people overcome them. One thing I say to people, and this is part jokingly, you know, as I said, look, just come there. You know, come there. If you volunteer, that's a great way to discover it. That's an excellent way to discover it. If you come there to support somebody that's running it, that's a great way to come to discover it. Or if it's just nearby enough that you want to, you're curious about it, just come and check it out. Just look and see what's going on. And I guarantee you, you'll see someone out on that course that you will look at and you'll be like, well, if that person can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Now, my joke on that one that I say to the mothers in the circle, I'm like, you know, and, and if you're out there and you don't see that person, you're that person. <laughs> <laughs> and the cool thing about that is you're inspiring others, whether you know it or not, because you're out there doing it. You know, so that's one. And then I tell the story of well, one of the first teams I ever met at Tough Mudder was a Navy SEAL team. And these guys, they showed up, some Navy SEALs, man. They showed up with their rucks, their backpacks, full of beer and bacon and wine. They walked the whole course. They did this obstacle. They didn't do that obstacle. They spent most of their time out there helping people. I saw them like eight, nine hours later coming to the finish line, all muddy and drunk and laughing. And that's how they crossed the finish line. That's what Tough Mudder is. It is you go there finding to find you and then to discover your better you. But we ain't out there saying, uh, we're not a drill sergeant saying you got to do something. And uh, we're out there saying, eh, try it, you know, or find that inspiration out there to get you to try it, to do it. Do you need to train and be, I mean, sure, it'll help just like through life. You know, if you go to school, that's going to help you in our society. You know, if you have a family and you, you exercise loving people, that's going to help you in life. So training for a Tough Mudder is the same thing, you know, and for people like me, us older guys, more importantly, training is just recovery. You know, now it's preventive maintenance and recovery. But no, you don't have to be the fastest out there. You don't have to be able to do every obstacle out there. That's not going to be the gym that you discover out there. It's going to be, even if you walk, I would go, I would say, even if you went out there and you just shadowed a team where you didn't do any of the obstacles, but you went through all of the whole course walking it with them, 
you're going to get the benefits of being out there. You're going to feel it. You know, uh, what you were talking about earlier, when you just experience stuff, you know, and that's, again, just get out there and experience whatever it is in life. That's when all these cliches start to make sense. We can hear things and, that people say and read things that people say. And, and y- y- you know, you get it. You understand what it says. I know the language and all that stuff. I get it. You know, just like a love song. I love this song. Great melody. I, I love the lyrics. But when you experience it, that's when it makes sense. That's when it goes to your soul. And like you and I said earlier, it becomes soul memory. And then you're like, ah, this is what it's about. Yeah, I didn't have to go and train like crazy just to do this. You know, certainly there's benefits to me that if, if I went that way, that it worked. But you go to these Tough mutters again, you see church folks out there that came with their other church people. You know, you see colleges out there with kids and it ain't their athletes because they ain't going to risk them out there, you know, with some little injury and, and messing up their season. But just the college kids, they come there uh, with their friends. You see everyday people in all shapes and sizes. We have a, a gentleman that I got to uh, interview on a podcast, uh, an autistic gentleman, you know, he's who runs these ultra marathons and stuff. You see people like him out there, you know, you see every types of people out there. man. so don't let don't let that be the thing that stops you. To me, this gets back to what you were saying earlier, what I love what you said, that voice in our heads that say, no, 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 beware, beware. You know, that what I feel is just code in us to be safe in this world. You know, survival, one of those survival codes that, um, again, through evolution of free will, we learn how to exercise that more properly and don't let that keep you from living. You know, again, another quote that I came up with through this experience is the body, the body just wants to survive. The soul wants to live. You know, so live, y'all. You know, I get out love, there. yeah, t- t- totally love that. Um, and once again, you've triggered another very vibrant memory that I have not thought about once for years, but it goes even deeper to this idea of kind of nourishing your soul and soul memory. And it's kind of a, a tag onto this idea of showing up and being worried about, well, I don't know if I'm in good enough shape or people are going to laugh at me or I'm not one of the best ones there, right? And I remember this so distinctly, I haven't thought about this for years. And it's like, I just relived it as I was listening to you talk. So I got to share this memory because uh, it really is kind of like the microcosmic definition of everything that I do now. Um, I was at a stadium race, which is Spartan and not Tough Mudder, but I was at a Spartan at uh, Spartan Stadium in, I think it was Dodger Stadium. And they basically turned the entire stadium into a giant obstacle course where you've got the ropes and the barbed wire, like all the stuff you see in the, the hills and the mountains. They just put them around the baseball stadium everywhere except for the actual green because they don't want people destroying the green. But you're on the, the circle, the warning track. Uh, you get to be on the warning track. You're going up and down miles worth of bleachers. And I remember very distinctly I was on the third baseline on the warning track in the dirt and they had the big jumbotron and the jumbotron had a camera on the ropes. And I was just kind of running along or jogging and all of a sudden the entire stadium stops and they start watching the Jumbotron. I'm like, oh, it must be one of the, the big stars, you know, like one of the, the elites or whatever it is. Like everybody's watching somebody crush the course. And no, instead, it was this woman, it's hard to tell in the Jumbotron, I would guess maybe, you know, early mid thirties, overweight, clearly out of shape and out of her element, but she just would not quit on the rope. 
and you just see that look on their face. They're like, this person refuses to quit and they're going to somehow find a way, even if they may not be physically capable, they will find a way. The entire stadium, thousands of people stopped and watched this random stranger climb a rope and they're like, come on, you can do this. I'm like, this is it. My life is going to be this. Because you think it's all about cheering on the best and the brightest, just some random person, overweight, had no idea what they got themselves into, had thousands of people cheering them on on a jumbotron, just trying to climb a rope. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And that to me is what it's all about. So I just, I'm chasing that over and over and over. And that's one of the reasons I love Ninja because the the TV show American Ninja Warrior isn't about here are the best athletes on the planet. It's here are people that are massively outside their comfort zones that are trying to do something that to them is nearly impossible and I want to see if they succeed. And to me, that's just the, the coolest thing ever to watch that. And you get to watch it for a living over and over every, and over yeah, day after almost day. Almost every weekend, man. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I shouldn't tell it, but I like telling it actually because I want to give every perspective of what goes on out in this course. You know, even the way we talk about it or any of these courses, yeah, it's fun and it's a challenge and all that, but this is a serious challenge. That's why we talk to you in the beginning and give you these instructions because you can get hurt out there. You know, once again, uh, as a example of life, you know, there's certain rules we have that we've come up with that if you don't do this, you can get hurt. You know, you 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 risk a chance of you must. So it was at one of our events where I had I was done at the start line. I took all the equipment over to Everest. Everest is our half ramp. That it's your warped to, wall, basically. Exactly. And people have to climb up there. And there's always people helping you to get up there. It's wet by this time. It's it's the second, at this time, it was the second to the last obstacle. So uh, I would stand there because, like you said, a lot of cool things go on. We've seen 400-pound people have everybody, people will build a ladder where they have people standing on their shoulders on the bottom all the way to the top and say, climb up us to get to the top. You know, or we'll rig something together to get someone up there that couldn't get there, whether they were in a wheelchair, an adaptive athlete of some sort, whatever. People are going to get them up there. And it's that great feeling that you just described with everybody that's involved in cheering and watching. So I'm there with the my music plan and this guy, there was this guy there and this guy was very athletic. Uh, and he tried to get up to Everest. He couldn't get it. For some reason, he just couldn't get it. He had tried a bunch of times. So he was about to go around and he kept getting so close. And then there was uh, uh, some guys up there that I saw that were like, they were going to help him this time. You know, they were gonna, yeah, you know, so I said, dude, they're going to help you this time. You know, you can they, they can help you try it this time. You know, so his wife is standing on the side with the two little kids. You know, he has two little daughters there and his wife standing up there. He's like, all right, I'll try it this last time. So he comes back. And it was almost like it was in slow motion, man. He takes off running. You know, you hear Chariots of Fire. And I'm on the mic. He's going for it. And he's getting up there and his wife and his kids, they're holding and they're looking at daddy going for it. And he takes that first step onto the ramp right there. And... You hear this pop. Yeah. And his knee did something unnatural. Oh, boy. Yes. He goes down and he is just in pain. And you hear him. Ah, 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 and his kids, 
His the mom is hiding the kid's eyes and they're crying. Oh, daddy! Oh, daddy! And then pan the camera over to me with the mic in my hand. All of a sudden, I, you can see me like in this devil outfit, you know, with the mic in my hand. But honestly, I'm like, oh no. So um, of course we go over there, where where and the medical team comes and they're like, hey, you know what? Yeah, you dislocated your knee. We're gonna take you around. We'll take you on down. This dude says. No way. No way. He goes, the finish line is right there. You know, I only have one more obstacle to go. I am not going to let you guys put me on this ATV and take me to the medical tent. I'm going to do this. Everybody went, yes, he's going to keep going for it. So me and this other guy, we help him up. I got to drop the mic now and all that stuff. I got to help him. I'm, I'm the devil. I'm the one who made him do this. So I, we help him, and you got to come all the way down this hill, and you come around to where Clinton is. It's electroshock therapy. So we help him down there. He couldn't put any weight on that leg. We get to electroshock, and I'm thinking once again, you know, like I said to everybody, you know, hey, you know, go around, guys, if you ain't feeling. No shame in that game. No. He's going to do it. The crowd that followed us down, they're like, yes, he's going to do it. Oh, electric electric shock was hot. It was popping this day. People were getting blanked. The guy that helped me bring him down there just disappeared all of a sudden. It was like you, Zach, edited him out. (laughs) I don't know what happened. So it's me there with him. So. All right, I guess I got to go through electroshock with him. Everybody's going to do it. So I'm holding him. So off we go. The very first strand, I felt it. Bam! It hit me, man. It was like Mike Tyson punched me. And the two of us are going through. I'm holding him. We're trudging through this thing. We're getting hit. I go down. He goes down. I'm picking him back up. We're getting hit. I'm blanked. Um, you know, I get my, my brain gets edited. We're picking up. We go down. We get a, we're going through all of this. Muddy, wet now, falling down, went through it, came out the other side of it. Uh, I end up falling to the ground on my back, you know, and then people come over and they pick them up and they're like, yes, amazing. That feeling that you described, you know, this guy, man, beyond all odds, he just willed himself through all this. He said he's not going to give up and he didn't. And he went there and they helped him cross the finish line right there. And it's just inspiring to a lot of people, you know, that even through all this, he chose to keep going, you know, and his kids are proud of him and wife and all that. So I'm laying back there in the mud because I was hurt and <laughs> exhausted. So, you know, all the accolades gone, you know, so all of a sudden one of the Tough Mudder employees come and just looks over me while I'm lying on my back and they said, Hey, Sean, we just got word from the hotel. They're moving your stuff out of your room. You got to hurry up and get back there. They're moving you to a different (laughs) room so you can get your stuff. And then she turns around and walks away. So that was my accolades for what I did to help him get through. And what what popped in my mind, again, it's like, well, you are the mirror, man. It's not about you. (laughs) Let's go get your stuff out of uh, of, uh, the uh, hotel. So... That's the story, you know. It's it's a scary story to tell because I don't because one, you know, we talk about somebody getting injured, but that is the challenge out there. You know, this ain't just Disneyland that you're going out there to do, guys. We are challenging you. And 
There are people out there to help you through it. There are things that I'm going to tell you what to do that's going to help you through it, that there's going to be less risk of you getting injured out there. So listen, that is important. And just like in life, these laws and rules and these things that you discover through love are just as important in getting you through life in that rewarding less risk, always a risk, of course, but less risk and providing you with the tools that you already have to use to survive it. You know, so there it is wrapped up in a little bowl. And man, I, I don't know if it's even possible to top that. Um, I'd never heard that story before. Absolutely love that story. If that, if that isn't just the perfect uh, analogy or microcosm for what this is all about, like what a way to top it. Um, that having been said, I do have one more question. And you might still be able to even top this story. We'll find out. Uh, it's not a question that I ask all of my guests, but I ask it when it is relevant to the topic at hand. And what we're going to do is uh, called a little time traveling exercise. So I want you to imagine whatever the deepest, darkest moment was where you were thinking to yourself, this industry has just consumed my soul. I don't know if I can spend another day doing this. Who am I becoming? Why do I even want this anymore? Just think of whatever that moment is at any moment in time where it was before this positive transition happened. Can you picture what that moment is? There was a moment when I was in, and again, this is like a, just when I was coming out of the dark clouds of Hollywood and I had met my then wife and I was in Sweden. I was at our house in Sweden. And it was two weeks there. I was sitting back. And Sweden has a totally different vibe. And I discovered a lot about myself just being in Sweden. I discovered, one, just how much I was affected by racism in this country. And I didn't know it. But to me, the best I can describe, there's a subliminal hum that's going on to black people, people of color maybe even, and everybody has something, you know, even women in this world, there's something that they, they uh, uh, a challenge to them that we as men don't have. Even men such as yourself, there's a challenge to you guys that you have that I may not have, you know, uh, and no one's challenge, I've said this before, is greater than another's. They're relevant to your life. But in this one, uh, yeah, I, I had no idea how much I was affected by uh, uh, that racism, that little hum of you're a third-class citizen, you're a stepchild in this country, affected me because my life has been pretty cool. You know, I mean, people in general, I mean, I've experienced the ignorance, but for the most part, I got a lot of great people. I'm surrounded by a lot of awesome love. But in this moment, I felt it there because I have a sonar when I'm here in the States that go out that, uh, especially when I don't see any other people of color, it'll go out and... When a, when a, this is sad, too, to me, how I've been affected by like things like seeing Klan activity and racist activity is that a white guy like you, if I didn't know you, and let's say I'm in Tennessee and you were walking towards me, I have a sonar that goes out to you before you approach me that, through all, that carries all my experience and warnings and cautions that I've had in life that's gonna come back, it's gonna hit you and it's gonna come back to me before you get to me about, so there's a fear there I have of you right away. Uh, then maybe through conversations, you know, uh, there's certain things I'm gonna be listening for in your conversation, otherwise you're a threat to me. 
Uh, and then eventually there'll be the comforting things that we know, the no's that we know that will say, oh, okay, this guy uh, is cool. He's, a, he's moved into my cool column. And that's how I travel through the, our country. You know, uh, it's sad, but and it's sad for me to say, but yeah, in areas I'm not familiar with, and especially, again, where I don't see people of my color, it's potentially racist until proven not. So I'm going to be careful and, you know, really keep a low profile in when I'm doing it. So in a sense, I'm terrorized. So I'm sitting there on the... Uh, on my couch in Sweden. And one, I wasn't getting that there. My sonar would go out and wouldn't come back. So that was kind of scary, one. Uh, and then two, just being away from Los Angeles, I had no idea how much stress I was carrying. And that thing you hear about that people say about exhaling, it literally happened to me, where all of a sudden I just went, <sighs> And it was like a ghost just came out of my body. And I started to cry. I really did. I just sat down and I started crying because it was like this stress just came out of me that I didn't know I was carrying. And, and, and again, it was an experience in life. It sort of expanded me. It, it introduced me to a part of myself I wasn't acknowledging and, and something that was going on in this world that I was not really acknowledging, you know, sort of putting back there. You may, may be dealing with it instinctual, but not cognitive of it. And, and that was one of the things that changed my life. Again, that says, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to live like this. I understand it's a survival instinct and a tool, but I have the tools now to use this tool properly where when I see Zach Arnold coming at me, if I didn't know him previously, I don't have to fear him. I don't have to feel a great threat from him. You know, you, I get to judge you as who you are, maybe, how you approach what you say to me. I don't want to be naive about it, you know, because certainly, you know, you don't just get rid of that. You know, it's there. But better, I'm better with it now, in a sense. I hope I'm saying that right. So I think that's the moment that you're asking about for me in life, you know, where that just changed how now I, you know, move forward, travel through this world. Which brings us to the question, because we haven't even gotten to the question yet, but I'm glad that you said it up very, very well, which is we're going to jump into that time machine. We're going to go back in time to, let's say, 60 seconds before you exhale. You're full of all this stress and this energy, and you've developed this awareness of all of these things that you've experienced back in the States, struggling with the, the career, what it's doing to your identity, what it's doing to your soul. Knowing everything you know now, what do you tell yourself at that moment? I didn't tell, I, there wasn't anything, I didn't have like answers right away, like, ah, aha, aha. It was a feeling of letting go. Uh, and... And, and kind of like what you and I say, getting out of our own way with our negative thoughts, our negative feelings, you know, which, again, I feel like are natural survival feelings. But um, as you educate yourself and experience life more, you learn how to use those survival skills uh, more accurately, more efficient, and know them for what they are. And that's what it was. It didn't have words to it. It was a feeling 
of me, me pushing something out of my way so that I can experience those things that I love even more. I can go and discover more of me in this world and more of people in this world, that the things I love about people even more. That's what it was. Don't think I can top that. Uh, <laughs> cannot thank you enough for all the insights and stories and anecdotes and everything that you've shared. Uh, now I'm just like super pumped to do another race as fast as humanly possible and yeah. uh, chase this high again. For anybody that is listening today that wants to dig in and learn more about you specifically or Tough Mudder or whatever, where's the best place to send somebody that we have just pumped up and inspired? I just sent my put my. Uh Website. I had it redone, so I just put my website back up, seancorvell.com. Uh, you can go to that. Go to Tough Mudder's website, uh, toughmudder.com, and you'll see uh, uh, the, their social media is great. They describe a lot of what's going on, and you also get to uh, interact with people that have done it. Our legionnaires, we call them, or ambassadors. These are people that have have done it for so many times, and they've, they're, they're sort of like the foundation of the— Tough Mudder community, great people. You see the best of people there, you know. I mean, they're people, so, you know, you see your, the worst of people and the best of people, but you see how people going through life uh, and that sort of that Tough Mudder way that we've learned of supporting and helping each other. Um, so I would say go there to the toughmudder.com also. You know, for me, you'll find me, and this is almost like Ghost of Tom Jones. If you're out there, whatever it is that you're doing. And it may be uncomfortable. There may be fear to it. But you're moving forward and you're being your best, discovering your better. You'll find me there. <laughs> I love it. On that note, thank you so, so much for inspiring the hell out of me, inspiring my audience. And I would also say anybody that wants to connect with you directly, get on the starting line of a Tough Mudder and introduce yourself and say hello. That's the way to connect to this guy is in the dust, in the dirt, uh, fist bump, a handshake, whatever. But that's the place to connect with this guy's on the starting line because, man, is it an experience. So, Sean, cannot thank you enough. Ah, oh, this is awesome, man. I feel like I should pay you. You should bill me. I had a therapy session. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Zach. You're awesome, man. Can't wait to see you out there again. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.